Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy and share. Ian Blatherwick is a distinguished business leader. As managing partner of law firm Brown Jacobson during a period of huge expansion, he masterminded the company's growth from regional to national business. He expanded offices in London and Nottingham, and new offices across England, and ended up responsible for 500 lawyers, 900 employees, and an £85 million turnover. Now, he is an executive coach, helping Brown Jacobson develop the leaders of the future, which makes him the perfect guest for this 22nd episode of the Nottingham Business School's Business Leaders Podcast. Ian Brotherwick, you're very welcome. Good to be here. So, I read somewhere that that you're really enjoying your coaching for future leaders. In fact, enjoying it so much that you enjoy it even more than when you were managing partner. So, does that imply you were a reluctant leader? I did actually say that, did I? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that is a fair comment. I was never someone who had a, a career plan or an aspiration to lead. Um, and probably another factor, so Brown Jacobson's partnership, Becoming managing partner means effectively giving up your day job and moving into management. Um, I was 40 at the time, and did I really want to to give up all of that? So, yeah, I, I think it was a, a fair comment, really. So, so at what point uh, in your career did you think, goodness, I've just got to be in charge here? I don't think I, have, I, don't think I ever did. Um, I think um, we knew that the current managing partner was stepping down, Um I probably had support to be managing partner before I even had the idea. So there was quite a lot of encouragement and arm right. twisting going on behind the scenes. Um, as I said, I never aspired to lead. I think I work hard through a sense of responsibility rather than through that, you know, wanting to be the person at the, at the front. Um, and therefore, the, the, the firm was going through a process. Do we have an external candidate? Do we have an internal candidate? Um, and this bit might sound slightly arrogant, but... I wasn't convinced that the external candidates were right for where we wanted to go. Um, my predecessor might not thank me for this, but he did at one point make a comment that he didn't think any of the internal potential internal candidates were up to the role. So there's probably a bit of, hang on, <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong here. But you said you had a lot of support and help internally beforehand. So what, what, what were these people looking at and saying, this fellow's got to be in charge? Um, I think we'll probably come back to trust. I think people do trust me. Um, and I think they have trusted me, and they just thought that at that point in the, you know, the, the firm's development, it, you know, I'd be the person to, to back. So yeah, I think I was probably pushed forward rather than propelling myself forward. Okay, and and, and what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? I think some of my reticence was that slightly old-fashioned view of a leader, you know, that slightly superheroic figure that, you know, makes decisions, that plucks decisions out of the air, and expects everyone to follow them and I knew that wasn't me um, and in fact I think now now where leadership is up to is much more what I am I, you know, I was just about around being me around speaking to people around building that trust around making sure that I understood where people were up to and set a direction for people to to follow but at the time I remember thinking um, yeah I, I think we're after a different character I think leadership is around something different than I am and, and that's that's a, a I think probably a commonly held belief that superhero thing that you to be a leader you've got to be up and at them opinion yeah. for opinion for every situation you know almost leading from the front 
Yours is a more measured, yeah. thoughtful uh, leadership. Yeah, and sorry, getting to your first point, I definitely think there's still some of that there. Some of the coaching I do is people who are newly appointed to a board and they're seeking coaching as to how can they make an impact and you know have they got the gravitas and you talk to them no you've been promoted to the board because you bring certain skills and attributes you don't suddenly have to be something that you are not so it's it's an interesting topic do you think there are lots um, of accidental leaders um i don't know i mean there are definitely some people who set out and aspire to lead i'm not saying that's I'm not saying that's wrong um but i think uh yeah, I think there are probably some people who end up in a leadership position. Um, so I suspect there's a whole range of a range of things there, and maybe uh, a partnership's an unusual um, business entity, really. And I think sometimes people can people can be wary of people who want it too much. But you are being you're being elected there by your peers, and I guess people are looking for a mix of attributes there as to who they would want to lead them. Okay, so leaders can be developed, can be can can. Can, can learn to be a leader rather than necessarily being born a leader? I think so, yeah. I, I'm, for me, the, the key skills are, it is around building up trust, and there are different ways that you can do that. Um, it's around being genuinely interested. If, if we were talking about people who aspire to lead, you want to be in a business that genuinely interests you. Okay, so you have to be in, you have to, the day job has to be right first, yeah, rather than I, just, I want to lead, I just want to be in charge. I think so, because... Um, I think people know whether you're being genuine. I think people know whether you've you're understanding the business. Um, and I would always be. I, I think probably another thing. I, I you know going back to what did I imagine? I imagined someone who would have all of the answers. You know that was my view of what a leader was. Um, whereas actually now I'd be saying always be willing to learn. That that would be my my take on it. Um, and I think through that and from involving people. You know the best. Um, I don't know whether we'll stray into politics, but there's a comparison about trust and leadership and so on with, with a political world at the moment. But um, I would also say, want to surround yourself with a team of really talented people who you would trust to get on with things and fly. Um, that might be another interesting political comparison at the moment. But <laughs> there you well, go. Uh, yes, and, and again, I, I mean, you write, you blog, <laughs> you, you talk, uh, you try talk quite openly about leadership, and, and I guess that's because of what you do now. But I've seen you've written down um, that it's good to surround yourself with people who are who are perhaps perhaps better than you are, as yes. you suggested there. But 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 similarly, my God, you need to want to spend time with these people. Now, sometimes those two two elements will pull in opposite directions. Possibly, I think there's um. Uh, you definitely do want a diverse group of people, and sometimes that might drive you slightly potty. Um, but it comes back to being respectful. It comes back to realizing actually that you don't have all of the answers and you do need to listen to other people's perspectives. I think um, actually something I've been told to deploy quite well, a sense of humor. Actually, if you've got a group of people with very different views, um, if actually you can have a laugh with each other, sometimes a laugh at yourself, I think, I think one of the things I was quite good at was sort of calming conflict, taking the politics out of things so you could have a measured debate. Um, and I think, again, some of that gets lost in in the debate that we see in society at the moment. It's it's more about point scoring. And actually, if you if you end up in a debate that's point scoring, you're actually not getting to the answer that you want to. So if you have an ability to manage that conversation so that you can be respectful of other people's views, you don't all take yourself too seriously. You all learn and make a collective decision. I think that is a likely to be a better decision than mm. something that's 
you know, achieve try who who shouted the most, who scored the most points, and then head in that direction. Sure. Now you were managing partner uh, at Brown Jacobson during a period of uh, unprecedented expansion. Um, um, the company is now one of the top sixty law firms in the country. What was the biggest challenge you faced during that period of expansion? Um, there are there are highs and lows, and actually some of the lows don't get made public. Um, there were times when cash got a bit tight, and I remember um, I'm normally quite good at switching off when I get home. That's another useful skill as a leader. You know, can you switch off and can you relax? But there were a few moments when things got a little bit hairy. Actually, I found, and maybe this comes back to the kind of organisation that you lead, um, if you've got the right colleagues around you, actually they're probably at their best in the tough times because everyone pulls together. Sometimes it's actually when things are going remarkably well and a, a few bits of the business might decide to pull in a particular direction. And actually we're a very diverse business. Sometimes you wonder, look, how, how can we're, all of these different bits are in business together? And actually managing those so that you are all working together um, can be tough. Um, one particular low moment, though, was the um, the uh, there was one Christmas where we failed to pay people. That was a particularly memorable, <laughs> particularly yeah, all, memorable, all was an issue, yeah, particularly yes, memorable yes. moment. Some glitch between us and the bank, but then all, all kinds of stories started. The phone starts ringing. Um, I'd just arrived in Lapland, so I didn't really want um, the legal press on the phone. And there was a memorable photo of our FD made up as the Grinch. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> there are some of those moments which you can look back and laugh on. But at the time, they are, oh, yeah, that was a bit tricky. And it, and it all went public, obviously. Yes, it did go public. And it, it was just a glitch and it all got sorted out. Caused caused more. I mean, I, I think people probably externally enjoyed the story and we got it sorted internally. But, yeah, as, a, as memorable moments go, you do have a few like that. Okay. And so, how, how, on reflection, how... How did you manage that? What was the what was the uh, overwhelming skill that you employed? So I think it comes back to trust. You know, at those moments, you just have to speak to your colleagues, speak to the workforce, say what has happened. And if actually you have created that environment of trust, they'll believe you. And, and actually, it wasn't much of a story internally. Um, I think if people are wary of what you're saying or wary of your leadership at that point, then it's a lot trickier. Um and, you know, I've always been of the view that, I mean, there are times when you, you manage when you make announcements and there are times when you do things. But actually, if people inherently trust you, then those moments, tough as they might be, are a lot easier. So you relied on the goodwill that had been built up over the period? Yeah. Okay. So if that was the biggest challenge, what, was, what, what do you reckon might have been the biggest success? Um, I'd probably say different things now in hindsight than I would have done at the... At the time, clearly, you know, the growth each year was fantastic. Um, but I, I measured things more by the, the nature of the work we were doing and the clients that we were doing for and the calibre of people that we were attracting and developing. You know, you could see that you were effectively, for want of a better phrase, working your way up the food chain because you were, you were doing ever more complex work for, you know, ever bigger players in each of the relevant sectors that we worked in. Um, the hindsight bit, so having said I'm not obsessed by numbers, I do think it was quite neat that over 11 years we grew from just over 30 million to over 80 million. So I like the fact that there was a 50 million pound growth there. That was quite nice. Um, and then also when I stepped down, which was, you know, the pandemic, we were in lockdown when I stepped down. So it was a very strange time to, to have my send off sat in my back room with my slippers on. Um, but people still talked about trust and integrity. And I know people say nice things when you leave. Um, 
But it felt that that which had been would have been my opening statement was still there at the last. And after eleven years, um, you know that 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 was important to me. And I guess the fact I'm still there and people are still talking to me meant that they weren't just being nice. So yeah. So on reflection, did everything go to plan? My answer to that is: Was there a plan? Um, Surely there was a plan. <laughs> I. I was chatting to this, my wife about this. Coming back to the reluctant leader point, um, I remember there was a, a particular Christmas when I was deciding to stand. I decided to write my manifesto, and then I'd decide at the end of writing the manifesto, was I going to do this or not? And my wife, separately, she wrote a list of the pros and the cons. Um, and I stumbled across that when we were having a bit of a clear out the other week. And the, the pros was about five lines and the cons, I think, ran into about two or three was that pages. Con, were the cons for her, for you or for the company? I, I, I think probably, I don't think they were for the company. No, I think they were more personal. Um, she still sings that most of them were probably true too. Um, but I think it was around, uh, the plan was very much, look, um, and we were straight into financial crisis as well. So actually, I was elected in January 2009 took over the reins 1st of May 2009. To be honest, I think pretty much what I'd written in January was ripped up by the time we got to May. Um, and that was when you, you looked at the people around you and you decided that, actually, we've got good people here. I know lots of people were panicking, but we we took the view at that point. Actually, if we've got good people, we need to tighten our belts for a while, Invest in those people. Make sure they really understand their clients. Make sure they really understand service. Make sure they really understand what problems are out there. And let's let's back ourselves to come out of this. And I think that um, you know, coming back to trust that probably helped create that atmosphere right from the start. Um, in a funny way, in hindsight, it probably helped because maybe my plan would have just been more of the same. Whereas here, we really did. You know, everyone was in a pickle. We were in a pickle. It made us really focus on what we do, what this we do well, is, and how the, we deliver on it. This is the 2008 yeah. financial crisis. Yeah. So I started in the financial crisis, yes. and I ended in the I COVID know. one. I don't think either were my fault, but it was a, <laughs> it was a, a leadership period bookended by both. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, again, I'm, I'm asking you to reflect on that, but I'd say is you know the lessons that you learned in that financial crisis, is that what held you in good stead throughout the rest of your period in charge? Yeah, I think there's the, the this too shall pass kind of phrase, you know, when you're in those moments. Um, and I know we've talked before about the loneliness and the, the, um, being a leader. Um, we can maybe have some violin accompaniment to this when it actually gets broadcast. Um, but actually remembering those moments and remembering the people that worked alongside you and helped you through them is useful because there will be. I think you learn more, actually, from the tough times than you do from when things are, you know, going swimmingly. And and that's what people say regularly. People, yeah. you know, enter these periods with absolute trepidation, thinking, my God, will I still be here at the end of this? But on reflection, that's where you learn your lessons. Yeah. And I think I think there's a danger when you will feel an absolute sense of responsibility at that point because ultimately you are... You are the leader. And I think the danger is that you make yourself a bit isolated at that point because you're going to have to make the calls. And my approach has always been a very collaborative one. Maybe that's partly, maybe that's me, maybe that's partly the, the partnership model. Um, it's not just, though, to gain a consensus. Partly it is that, you know, actually, let's make sure we're <laughs> getting the best thoughts out of everyone before setting on a direction. It also helps warm people up to what direction you might set. It checks that you're not going down the wrong path. And, and I think that moment where you feel the pressure is the moment that you really know the people that you want to turn to to help devise a plan to come out of it. 
you talked about at the beginning of um, the answer that, that last answer how um, it's a lonely position, and as you say, we've talked about that previously. Mm. So, is that where mentors become important? People who you can talk to. Yeah, and I think yeah, definitely. Um, and they can be internal, they could be external. You know, if I think back, um, I work with three great senior partners, and it's quite tricky. <laughs> there were times, well, certainly I had times when I wondered why on earth did I ever step forward to do this role? And I guess most leaders have those moments. It's not always that easy to talk to someone internally to say, <laughs> why the heck am I doing this role? Because they might start to panic. Um, but I had people internally that I knew and trusted who, you know, would just yeah, and you probably just after a bit of reassurance at that point. So, yeah, three great senior partners, Sarah Walker-Smith, who you've had on this before. You know, she and I were very closely together for a long time and, um, you know, shared a lot of moments. Um, some external people, um, Sarah King, who's now doing amazing stuff. We are radical. She was someone that I would um, occasionally cash up with when I just needed someone independent to talk to, and that's that's very much now what I'm looking to do in my coaching: help people who there might just be occasions where you don't, you can't talk something something through with someone internally, and you just need someone who you can download to and who can help give you a sense of perspective. So leaders need that. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So you were, as you said, a frontline leader for eleven years. Uh, you were. Been a corporate lawyer for more than three decades. How has leadership changed in that period? Um, I, I'm trying to phrase this without making it sound like I was some kind of trailblazer because I definitely wasn't. But I think it has moved towards. There's lots of talk about authenticity, isn't there? I think there is a, a move away from that slightly superheroic leader of the past um, and a more empathetic, a more honest leader. I think. I think that the you know, the period of the pandemic, lots of different leadership styles came under pressure. Um, but that one where people were open, honest, you know, showed some vulnerability through that time as well. I think, um, yeah, I, I think that, that that feels like where leadership has moved towards. Towards a more human leader? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that, and that can be difficult because you might still have to, you're still going to have to make tough decisions so it that, could that, swing that, back in the other direction. There's, there's a balance there because, um, yeah, there, there are still there are still tough calls that have to be made. But um, yeah, I think if you are if you are yourself, you are that more human person. Um, I uh, some of the other feedback I was, I, was a, I was a great listener. I did always. It actually got more tricky as the organisation got bigger. But I was someone that you know I would give time to people, and they knew that they'd get a proper a proper listening. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting point you make. I mean, I know we're going back on something we, we talked about originally, but to go from a company that turned over thirty million pounds to a company that turned over in excess of eighty million pounds—that that, that, you know, huge expansion—how did your leadership change over that period? Presumably, you had to do things when you were in charge of a much bigger number of people and bigger turnover than that you didn't have to do when uh, when you were a much smaller company. Yeah, it's. And some of that I didn't like. I didn't like the fact that, you know, at the start, I really would have known everyone within there by name. Um, and actually, the vast majority of people would have known me joining the firm as a two-year qualified person and working through the ranks. It, it was a strange reflection that, um, you know, 11 years later, probably the vast majority of people had only ever known me as, as managing partners. That was an interesting thing to get your head around. Um, part of it is making sure that the approach that you have and being made available starts to be 
moved to other people around you, you know, other people take on some of that role. So it becomes more of a cultural approach rather than something that you would do individually. Equally, I think people came a bit more respectful of my time as well. So they would get to know, actually, this is something which I do need to pick up with Ian, or maybe this is something that I can pick up with someone else and talk it through. So if you can create a group around you who have a similar approach, then maybe you manage to dilute a little bit the pressure of that all landing on one person. So they all understand without having to be told. Yeah, well, over time, yeah, there's probably a bit of a process to be led there, and there would still be people who would, who would uh, beat a path to your door and expect a hearing. <laughs> so, but yeah, over time, I think we made that move. Okay, so leader of a very big company now, but you, you, you still maintained your work-life balance, I think. I mean, looking at your social media, you're <laughs> home and away in Norwich City most most, most weeks uh, with the family. Um, it, how important is that work-life balance for a, for a leader? Yeah, I'm not quite sure where supporting Norwich City sits on the uh, the positive or the negative. Um, there's, there's actually, there's another bit, people talk about work-life balance, but I think there's a balance within work that we don't talk about as much as well. One of the biggest changes I had, you know, as, a, as a corporate lawyer, you're best when you've got two or three big projects, they've got a deadline, they've got a bit of adrenaline to get them over the line. Um, and one of the biggest shocks I had in management was there wasn't much that had adrenaline. You weren't often working on two or three things. You'd, you'd often have a very long list of things that had to get done at some point. And that was a very different way of working than I was used to. Um, and therefore, when I talk about balance within work, it's look, there'll be a mix of stuff there that you enjoy there'll be a mix of stuff there that you really don't, but just as a leader, you have to work through. So there's even that balance within work. I, I, I coach people who, I, I did give up all the law I was doing, but I coach other people who are feeling that they ought to give up, you know, some of the work that they love doing. And I'd say, no, actually, you've got to look at what gives you energy. If there's a way you can still do those things and you can do justice to the role that you're doing, why give it up? Because... All of this is around those things that give you energy. And sometimes it's the challenging things that give you energy. Um, but I think there's that mix of stuff that you do within work as well as the things that you do outside work. Um, as I said before, I'm, I am quite good at switching off when I get home. Five kids, probably, you know, quite a good way of switching off yes, as well. So, so yes. whether, it's, whether it's, you know, music, football, you know, theatre, cinema, reading, holidays, travelling... Okay. You know, you, uh, we, we, in, in the middle of that, were you trying to imply that Norwich City may have give you give you energy? Is that, is that right? <laughs> well, there was this one occasion. <laughs> no, I, I think um, yeah, yeah. We, we can each talk about the perils of supporting football teams that have <coughs> less less, you, yeah. less successful times. But actually, I think going with your family, sharing the experience, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's still a break away from you know other other things, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, you know, so you've, you've talked about work, uh, obviously great pressures there. You've talked about having a, a, a great extension family, fam, family social life. But you also take on other responsibilities. You, you're now chair of marketing Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, and that's promoting the region across Britain and, and, and across the world, really. So why do, why do uh, busy leaders take on these extra pressures? Um, there is, I, I think there's... Big businesses, we have a, a broader responsibility than just delivering, you know, the legal services that our clients want. Um, um, I'm a big, despite being a Norwich City fan, I'm a big supporter of Nottingham. I was born on Peel Street, so I'm, I'm sat here with you less than, I don't know, half a mile away from where I was actually born. Um, and, you know, it feels like there's a time for 
Nottingham really to make it smart. There's some exciting things that are happening in the city, and therefore I think that, you know, I'm supported by the firm, but there are there are things that we all need to do to make sure that, you know, Nottingham performs to its full potential and we put our time into to make sure that happens. Good stuff. So, obviously, you know that this is a podcast for the Nottingham Business School. So if you were um, a, a, a graduate of Nottingham Business School preparing for a, a career in leadership, I know you, you said you, you almost tripped over it, but yeah. other people prepare for it. What one single piece of advice might you give to someone? Um, I'm probably not going to stick to the one, sorry. Uh, well, uh, to start with finding something that you're interesting. I think curiosity actually is a, a much undervalued attribute in people. I think if you're interested, whether that's interested in people, whether you're interested in the business, um, you know, that's a really good start. I, I remember when trainees would start at Brown Jacobson and I say, clearly you need to develop to be a good lawyer, but that's a given. Make sure you're interested in the business. How, how do we win clients? What do clients want? How do the finances work? How to understand the business as a whole? And then you'll understand the part that you could play in it. And I think as a leader, having that broader perspective, having that curiosity, being willing to learn. We've mentioned that before, haven't we? I never think you've got all the answers. Always be willing to learn. And I think, um, can I wrap that up into one? So being interested, being curious, being willing to learn. You know, I, th- I think I think that's where I would start. Christoph, Ian Blatherwick, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with Prison Governor Professor Lynn Saunders, the radio programmer Dick Stone and the banker Dr Heather Melville. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy and your producer was John Collins.